0: to church on easter and win a gift card what is up that's awesome well thanks guys for being here to celebrate with us this resurrection sunday as we come together and celebrate the most awesome thing that's ever happened in history that jesus rose again man god is good so today the sermon title if you came in this morning you hopefully got a bulletin inside your bulletin there's a talk it over sheet for those of you like me that's old school and we don't you know, and I so I used to call the hashtag. I just realized hashtag is not it's called a hashtag, not a pound sign. Right? We used to call it a pound sign, but now it's a hashtag. And I've been putting the wrong hashtag all day. So it's hashtag Vision Easter seventeen. But anyway, I got all kinds of hashtags out there, so learn it. It's gonna be fun. We can follow one another. But if you came in this morning, you received a bulletin inside that bulletin. It's a talk it over sheet so you can follow along in the notes with me today's title is when the odds are stacked against you Can you say it with me when the odds are stacked against you? God can do a lot when we're at our very wits end when the odds are stacked against you We've been talking about what an underdog is an underdog is a competitor thought to have little chance of winning a fight or a contest An underdog is the little man out. Our foundational scripture for this entire series is found in Mark 10, 31. And it's, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Because the whole concept of the underdog is the one who looks like they're in last place somehow gets to be in first place. Now, if you're a child of the 80s, like I was, that means you love underdog stories because our greatest movies were in the 80s were underdog stories from Rocky who you just knew he was gonna not he I mean that man could take a punch right but he got back up he was an underdog to karate kid I mean this little skinny kid getting bullied and beat up at school and we're like what's gonna happen to him and this little old man hops out and you're like how's he gonna help him he could barely walk and somehow This guy is doing that crane kick that we never saw until the 80s. And then I know every single kid that was raised in that generation. Man, we all, I got a skirt on. You ain't going to see it today, friends. But I do got shorts on underneath, so I'm kind of tempted. But we'll say that for the Easter egg hunt after church, okay? But come on, we all love the story of an underdog because we can all relate to an underdog. We can all see ourselves in the underdog we all pictured ourselves being that kid doing the crane kick we've all pictured ourselves being uh the the, the rocky the one who gets knocked down but gets back up again and the bible even says that a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up you know god loves an underdog too the bible is full of stories of underdogs people who look like they had no way of winning people who look like everything was stacked against them. Every odd was stacked. It looked like the odds were not in their favor, right? It looked like there's no way they were going to be able to come out on top. We see it from David and Goliath, this little guy somehow beating a giant before he was even a king, before he was even a soldier. He was taking lunch to his brothers, and yet he somehow defeated the giant. We see it In Moses, we see it in Gideon. We see it in so many people from the apostles. And you know what? Even Jesus was an underdog. Matter of fact, Jesus was the ultimate underdog. And God allowed him to be the ultimate underdog. And for those who are like, how is Jesus, who is the son of God, an underdog? That doesn't even make sense. Well, for those who don't realize, see, Jesus, the son of God, the reason he was an underdog is because, well, he had humble beginnings. He never held an electric office here on earth. He really never had an army at his disposal. He had a whole bunch of fishermen, taxes, and prostitutes follow him, not an army. He never got rich. He, he had nothing that would be associated with power or prestige or advantage nevertheless He came out of victor and accomplished so much for you and for me But see jesus was an underdog because he had the odds stacked against him And today we're gonna break down four odds that were stacked against jesus and how he overcame them and how because he overcame them we too can overcome so let's break it down, and, and if you're following along in the notes, there's four of them, and they all, I'm gonna give you a clue, start with a G, okay? The very first odd that Jesus overcame was the ghetto. Oh snap, I'm coming right home for this one. I said, I can't preach this out in Waterville. I, I'm, uh, the first point is the ghetto. Honey, you're gonna have to go out there. I'm staying right here for this point because listen and what I mean by he overcame the ghetto is he He overcame humble beginnings See when you actually look up the definition of what what a ghetto is all it means is a a place in a city that where that is the uh, Place where the poor people live. It would be considered a slum area Well, jesus god allowed his son To leave the prestige of heaven friends With everything, with angels that were singing out, holy, holy, holy. See, Jesus, the Bible says he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. He was in the very beginning when the heavens and earth were created. And yet he left heaven and he came to earth in a womb of a woman. He could have came like Superman in a rocket ship. But Jesus came. To fulfill scripture and to fulfill prophecy in a womb of a woman and he lived in Israel's ghettos. Let's let's break it down here according to the scripture. See although many people came to hear Jesus preach They doubted he was the Messiah and they said Is this not Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says I have come down from heaven after Jesus read the scriptures in the synagogue in Nazareth, people were surprised and said, "Is this not Joseph's son?" It kind of reminds me when I first got saved and people were like, "Hold up. Joy who went to Libby? The cheerleader who ooh, mm, I remember her. Are you sure? You're talking about her? Right? How many of you guys had a story before God got a hold of your heart? See, the reason I take some uh, pictures here at Easter Sunday, I wanted to take that that so that that was proof that the walls did not fall down just because you came into church. You know, some of you all said that, right? Like, if I'm not going to church, the walls are going to fall down. But listen, they said of Jesus, like, hold up. I know his mom and I know his dad. Isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? And he said he came down from heaven. That doesn't make sense. So much so that Jesus Said a prophet is not accepted in his hometown and the scripture records that he was only able to do a few miracles in nazareth his hometown Due to the regional prejudice of the time the people of israel had a hard time understanding How could jesus be the messiah because they looked at where he was raised They looked at where he was born and they said nothing good comes from these, these places And so they had a hard time receiving the gifts of God because it didn't line up with what they thought that didn't line up with the way that they imagined it or that they understood it to be friends. God does that on purpose. He works outside of a box. We want to put him in a box and say, God only works this way, but God likes to, to surprise us. God likes to use the lowly things. God likes to raise people up from the humble beginnings and humble positions and use them And that's what he did for his son, Jesus. Have you ever felt like people judged you because of where you grew up? Maybe where you went to school, what side of town you live at? Well, friends, you're in good company. Jesus can relate. See, Jesus was born in a manger, and he grew up the son of a carpenter in Nazareth, which was a small town that had no religious significance whatsoever. People were asking, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of South Toledo? How can an inner city church plant another church in rural area, suburban area? How is that possible? Can anything good come from South and Broadway? (laughs) Well, for the most part of Jesus' ministry, Jesus preached in Galilee, another area that was not where the affluent people lived. It was a region in uh, in Galilee where a lot of Gentiles lived. And again, people were questioning, will the Christ come out of Galilee? They insisted no prophet has risen out of Galilee. How can this be? Friends, I love that Jesus was born in a manger. I love that he basically grew up in the ghetto of Israel. I love that he started his ministry in a place where the outcasts and the poor and the foreigners lived. I love that he chose to be uh, known with them, that the, the Bible even records that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I love that because it shows that God can use us no matter where we come from, no matter what our family background is, no matter what our history is, no matter if we're blue-collar or white-collar, no matter if we live in Waterville or live in South Toledo or East Toledo or West Toledo, God does not care of where your address is, friends. God only cares about your heart, and are you willing to follow him? We need to not despise small beginnings and humble beginnings because it's from a seed that fruit comes from, friends. It's from the, the word of God is even called a seed. It's, it, God wants it to be small in you at first and then to take hold of your heart and then to grow. God is a, a God that says that he humbles the proud, but he lifts up the humble. He wants us to have small beginnings. He wants us to, to not despise small beginnings, to not despise humble beginnings. And he gives us the best example Jesus does. We see in Philippians 2, which pretty much sums up the gospel, verse 5 through 11. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I like it when it says it like this. Have the same attitude as Christ. Say attitude. Mm. Same attitude as Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage Rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness And being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself By becoming obedient to death even death on a cross friends He humbled himself first by leaving heaven And being found in the appearance of a man as a baby in a womb and then in a manger. And then in Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then Galilee is where he started his ministry. Lowly places, places where the outcasts live, places where the foreigners live. And then the people he chose to surround himself with were the fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes, friends, friends of sinners. Jesus did this. To show us that we need to walk in humility. That we need to take take pride, if you will, in our low positions. Not our high positions. Not in what we think we are. And when Jesus did that, said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father Friends if you feel like you are in a humble position if you feel like That you have humble beginnings You're in good company because Jesus did too And God loves to take the things that the foolish things of the world and use them to confound the wise. God loves to take what looks like the odds are stacked against you and make you come out on top as a conqueror. He did it for his son, and through his son, he can do it for you. So that's the first thing that he overcame. That's the first odd. The second odd that Jesus had to overcome is he had to overcome oppression by the generals of his day, the worldly religious leaders that were against him. See, 2,000 years ago, to have a perspective that they had 2,000 years ago, Jesus really was an underdog from a human perspective because the Jewish leaders had their mind made up that he had to go. The odds were definitely not in his favor. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe because of where he grew up, where he was born. They didn't believe because they thought they knew his mother and his father. They didn't believe because he taught in a way that was a new way of teaching. The Bible says that Jesus taught as one with authority and the and the. Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders of the time, they were jealous. They gathered together, they gathered their resources together and they tried to trap him in his own words. You would see him preaching and they would always interrupt and ask questions trying to deceive him, trying trying to trick him. But Jesus knew their hearts. The Bible says he knew their hearts so much that, that he called them in Matthew 15, 14 they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind they will both fall into A ditch. And then he got even more hardcore, and this is what he said about them in Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. See, they came against Jesus, and and they got the people on their side so that Jesus is Chances according, according from a human perspective we know the end of the story they didn't at that time So he looked like he was about to win, He was about to lose because all of the leaders of the time came against him the Pharisees the Sadducees the scribes the the high priest All the religious leaders came against him and then they got Rome into it They manipulated the Roman government and the Roman court to do uh, To get their hands dirty so that their hands weren't and, and what they did is they ended up getting Pilate to, to finally give the ver- verdict to crucify him, friends. He was falsely accused, falsely put to a, a, a false court with the Sahedron, and then handed over and manipulated the Roman court until they got what they wanted. The generals, the leaders of their time, had Jesus right where they wanted him. So they thought. But really, he was right where God wanted him. Friends, if you feel like you are uh, in a place that you can't get ahead, if you feel like you're in a place that you um, are frustrated with life, overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed with circumstances, overwhelmed with frustration, if you feel like you're unable to live the victorious life, friends, it's not about your feelings, first of all. And second of all, you have to realize that if Jesus... Had to go through oppression and persecution. He said that if they hate the teacher, they're going to hate the students too, friends. And so if he had to go through it, you're going to have to go through it. But get this. Don't be afraid of opposition. Because oftentimes opposition will bring the greatest growth in your life. If you're in a place right now that you feel like, man, I'm just going through so much opposition. The higher the level, friends, the bigger the devil the more that you go after God, the more the enemy is going to come after you, but we have the victory in Christ Jesus. We have the victory due to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. All the forces in hell are already defeated. My favorite part here is friends, if you feel like the world's against you, take heart because it was against Jesus too. It was against Jesus too. And yet he overcame the world. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have, have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's something to celebrate friends. If the odds are stacked against you, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. It's something to celebrate. Hallelujah. Another eye that was sacked against Jesus that he had to overcome was grief. It was grief, it was suffering. Jesus had to suffer. See, Jesus experienced grief and suffering from Gethsemane to Golgotha. From the garden to the cross, he experienced grief and suffering. Jesus was in the garden, and this was after the Last Supper. And he went to the garden, a place that he often would go and pray. And he gathered his disciples and said, come pray with me. Now, he already told the traitor Judas to go do what you have to do. And so Judas had already left, and now it was just the 11 disciples. And they were together, and they were in the garden, and they were praying. And Jesus asked them to stay up and pray. But they kept falling asleep. And Jesus said, the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and so in his hour of his greatest need he knew he was about to go to the cross he knew that he was about to get flogged he knew he was going to be mocked sped upon his beard tore up he knew what was coming and so he needed to pray for strength and he prayed in such an intense prayer matter of fact he prayed god not my will but your will be done and he prayed in such an intense, agonizing prayer that the Bible actually records that he began to sweat and blood began to come from his sweat glands. There's an actual scientific word. This is a very uh, rare scientific uh, or, or disease or sickness that can happen. But it, it can happen, and it happened to Jesus. It's called hematidrosis. And it's where the veins of the skin become tender from anguish that they break, mixing the blood with sweat. Jesus actually experienced that. This is what I find unique, that we always talk about how his blood was shed for us, friends. And we, when we talk about that, we think about the cross. But Jesus was so willing that he actually shed his blood before he ever got to the cross in the garden in prayer. Friends, if we are ever gonna have the strength to pick up our cross as the Bible tells us to pick up our cross and follow Him, we've gotta first work it out in prayer. We've gotta first work it out in intercessory prayer. Friends, the greatest ministry, the greatest life that you will ever live, you have to first Work it out in prayer. If weak in prayer, weak everywhere. We can't do it on our own. We're not strong enough on our own. When the odds are stacked against you, you can't do it on your own. Jesus was the son of God, and he couldn't even do it on his own. He chose to go in prayer and ask for God's strength. Friends, when you're suffering and when you have grief, sometimes we go through things that just aren't fair. The loss of a child. A divorce after years of marriage, bankrupt, loss of a job, when we get a diagnosis from the doctor that's unfavorable. Sometimes we go through things in life that's, that's just, it's messy and it's ugly and it's, it's not fun. Friends, I want to encourage you when you're in that time of grief, when you're in that time of suffering, do what Jesus did and go to the garden, go to prayer and seek Him. And seek God's strength. Because when you do, like Jesus, you'll say, not my will, but your will be done. Because it's in the place of agony. It's in the place of grief that God wants to break you so he can make you, friends. God wants you to be at your lowest point so that he can lift you up to his highest point. But you've got to be willing. We've got to go to prayer. When you feel that grief, when you feel that suffering, let the first place you go. It's a God in prayer. So he prayed and sweated blood. But then, friends, after Judas came and betrayed him with a kiss, and he went before the religious leaders in some mock-up trial with the Sanhedrin, they sent him over to Pilate. And Pilate really didn't want to mess with with the uh, uh, with this. He said, "That's your. This is your your, your mess." This has to do with your religion. You take care of it. But they manipulated the court and said, well, he says there's a king and there's only one king, right? The Roman Empire is the only one king. And so you got to do something about this or you're saying that there can be another king. So they manipulated him. See, manipulation is witchcraft, friends. And that manipulation likes to come in that religious spirit. Mm. Well, I'm preaching now. Some of y'all don't want to hear it. Manipulation likes to come wrapped up, dressed up and wearing a bow with a religious spirit. Oh, you got to do it this way because I'm going to twist the scripture and I'm going to make it sound say something to get you to do what I want you to do. Even the devil did that to Jesus in the in the desert right before he got ba- or right after he got baptized. He tried to trick trick me and say, hey, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread because he was fasting and hungry. And Lord knows if I had that power, I would have done it. Anyone anyone in here struggle with what what hanger? Right. But he said, if you're if you're the son of God, take this stone and turn it into a bread. And Jesus said, man does not live on every bread or uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But the enemy tried to deceive Jesus by twisting scripture. So it makes sense that the religious leaders try to deceive people by twisting scripture. And so they deceived Pilate. Because Pilate wasn't saved, even though God did give a warning through his wife, who had a dream and said, this is an innocent man, don't kill him. So he said, well, maybe I'll just have him get flogged. And that's what this picture is. The scourging of Jesus. Crucifixion was an agonizing, torturous death. But Jesus endured a torture as nearly as or possibly equally excruciating before he ever got to the cross. This was the pain He suffered while he was flogged and paraded naked in front of the crowd. See, the scorching was brutal. It was a standard practice before crucifixion. The whip, which was called a flagellum, it was not like the kind of whip that we could picture in our culture like a bull whip. No, it was more like the old British cat of nine tails type of a whip. It had at least three Um, three parts to it and, and the whip that had bone and glass and rocks tied into it. And so it was designed for when they whipped the prisoner, it would tear the skin right off their back. And if anyone who's ever seen the Passion of Christ or any other visual of exactly what happened we realize that I mean they, they say that when when there was the scourging and the floggings that took place that people could actually see the insides of a person's body. And that's what Jesus went through that's the kind of grief that's the kind of suffering that he went through that was the kind of determination that he got to go all the way to the cross that he received in the garden through prayer friends. By his stripes we are healed. And to add insult to injury, then the Roman soldiers did a thing where they would mock because Jesus because Jesus was the the king of the Jews. They took uh a thorns and they made and they crafted a crown and they placed it on his head and made him bleed some more and then they began to mock him and make fun of him. And at any time, friends, He could have called down a legion of angels at any time. He could have called down thousands of thousands of angels to stop it. But he went and endured all the grief and all the suffering so that he could pay the price for sin. Because, friends, when sin came into the world, it separated man from God. God created man in his image so that he could have relationship with them. He walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, but sin came into the world and it, it created a big separation between man and God. And there had to be sacrifice to even have relationship with God. And so in the Jewish law, they would sacrifice uh, lambs and, and animals and it would have to be a perfect with lamb without spot and wrinkle to be accepted by God. But it was only temporary. It never fully paid the price. So God stepped in and sent his son, Jesus, in one of the most famous scriptures that we know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, God only had one son without sin, but he never had a son without suffering. And so after he was mocked and spat upon, and his beard torn out, and flogged, and after he went through the agony of the garden and praying, then they decided they that the, the verdict was crucify him. Pilate tried one more time to release another prisoner, and they said, "No, not Barabbas. We want Jesus. Crucify him." And so the, Jesus had to carry his own cross now they scholars believe the cross between was between 75 pounds and 100 pounds 125 pounds actually and he had to carry his cross now most strong men like my husband who just walked in woo woo give me they you know they can they can bench quite a bit or you know they even at, at most average men <laughs> can carry a sack of potatoes of 100, 110 pounds but listen this was after he was already beaten he then had to carry this cross for us well he stumbled and fell and, and Simon of Serene had to help him carry the cross and then he finally got to Golgotha where he had They had to place them on the cross. And and when we say nails, we're not talking about nails to, like, hold up a picture on your wall, friends. I'm talking these nails were between 5 and 7 inches. And they were driven right through his hands. Some some scholars believe it was the wrist because the wrist and the hand in those days were considered the same area of the body. And when a a 5 to 7 inch nail, okay, stake, if you will, was driven through their hands... There's all these nerve endings in your hand and wrist. It would shoot shots of pain throughout the entire body. Talk about agony. Talk about suffering. And then finally, they did it through his feet, the same thing, and would shoot shots of pain through his entire body, and he hung there on the cross for six hours. But it was strategic the way God allowed him on the cross during the time that the high priests were giving sacrifices in the temple and the Bible t- records how an earthquake happened during the time he was on the cross and that there was the veil that separated the holy place in the temple where the Jewish people would worship to from to the holy of holies and that veil was ripped signifying that because of the sacrifice the ultimate underdog ultimate sacrifice we can now enter into a personal relationship with the father because before then it was only the high priest They can go into the Holy of Holies and only one time a year could he go and he had to offer a sacrifice first for himself and then for the people. But Jesus is sacrifice friends In Hebrews 7. It says that unlike the high priest his he does not need to offer sacrifice day after day first for his own sins and then the sins of the people his sacrifice for for their sins once for all when he offered himself. See, Jesus Christ, his life was characterized by suffering. But the worst experiences were reserved for his final days, but yet his suffering were both redemptive and as an example. He cried out on that cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, the enemy thought he had him right where he wanted them. He looked like an underdog. He looked defeated. He looked like there was going to be no victory for him, and yet God had him right where he needed to be. And he set the example by saying, into your hands, he breathes his last breath and said, into your hands, I commit your spirit. Even though he is God, the son of God, he committed his spirit into the father's hands as an example for us. That if we want to, now because he paid the price and the veil is torn, we can say, into your hands, God, I commit my heart. I commit my spirit. I give my life to you. He paid the price. So that we can do that again, friends. It was through suffering that he overcame the odds. And friends, it was through his suffering that we can overcome every odd that stacked against you. Every odd that stacked against you, you can overcome because of him. And the last and the greatest enemy that he had to fight, the last and the greatest odd that was stacked against Jesus, that he overcame was the grave. The grave, death in the grave when he was crucified. He was alone even his friends abandoned him one of his closest friends Peter had denied him and the world could look at Jesus and think That he had lost That he must not be who he said he was In fact, it did everyone counted him out As far as they were concerned the death on the cross was final and irreversible after all should Jesus be any different than any other human that had ever lived before? In the end, the grave seat at number one, it wins, always wins, right? Not this time, because Jesus was no average underdog. He was the ultimate underdog. He won the victory that no one expected, one that no one else had ever won. He was raised from the dead by God the Father, and this is the foundation of our faith. That yes, he hung on that cross for six hours. He went through all the suffering, but friends, he defeated the grave, hell, and death. That on the third day he rose again. And this is the foundation of our faith. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty seven through fifty uh, fifty five through fifty seven says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He given us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus overcame the odds, we can too. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus, friends. If the odds are stacked against you, like they were jesus we've talked about the odds he had to overcome all these different things you too have to overcome different things if the odds are stacked against you friends you can take heart because the outcome is victory because of what jesus did it's victory because of jesus and the big why behind a why why he did what he did is because his outstanding love towards you because he loves you and desires relationship with you What he gave us when he overcame the grave When he overcame death and hell as he gave us grace He gave us grace friends grace wins because of what Jesus did He overcame the world and you too can overcome the world because Of the sacrifice that he gave. And so friends I want to encourage you today. Grace is the last point. If you have not given your heart to the Lord. Today is a day of salvation. The Bible says that if any of you. Confess with your mouth. And believe in your heart. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That you will be saved. Matthew Henry says this. He whose head is in heaven. Need not to fear to put his feet into the grave. Friends. The grave is not the end. For us, the grave is not the end for us who believe in Jesus because Jesus wins and he offers us now grace and we can win. But we've got to receive what he did for us. I have my friends that are coming up here, young people of our church that are going to minister to us in a dance called Grace Wins. I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart. Your feet with me. Come on, stand to your feet. God is good. Grace wins every time, friends. Every time. If you feel like you have been lying down in defeat, if you feel like you have been discouraged beyond repair, damaged beyond repair, friends, I have good news for you today. Grace wins. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment of prayer? You all. I'm coming up high. I gotta show Pastor Josh, cause you know he's over at Waterville. I gotta show him. Cheese now. Resurrection Sunday! Wait, one more, one more. Woo woo! There we go. <laughs> Love you guys. If you got any good pictures, please remember to do the hashtag, uh, Vision, uh, Vision easter. 2017 and then we can all see all the cool things that are going on Uh, You can go ahead and feel free to do that as you celebrate with your family today, too We would love to see the pictures and be able to share that on social media. That would be awesome to be able to celebrate together You know, god is good, isn't he not? I love resurrection sunday. I love our easter sunday because it is the greatest love story ever told but this we're going to have a new twist on it today where we're, we're going to share with you from a different perspective. We've been in a series called Underdog. And what an underdog is, friends, is an underdog is a competitor that thought, is thought to have a little chance of winning a fight or a contest. The foundational scripture of this whole series is Mark 10, 31. But many who are first will be last and the last first. See, everyone loves an underdog story. If you were a child in the 80s like me, you grew up seeing some of the best underdog stories. I'm talking Rocky, who doesn't love that, right? The karate kid I'm going to dress. I do have shorts on under, but I'm still not going to demonstrate the kick. I don't know if I can do it like I used to be able to, but come on, we all love these underdog stories. The skinny kid that gets beat up, and you think, how is he going to is he gonna defend himself? And then, you know, then the Asian guy comes out, and he's old, and you're thinking, how in the world is he going to help him? And then all of a sudden, he's like doing a cool kick we've never seen until the 80s, and we're like, yes, cheering for the underdog. You know, the same for Rocky, Captain America, so many movies, it's basically the underdog is what Hollywood is made of. And so, rather you're watching movies, a TV show, or cheering on for a sports team. Everyone loves when the little guy wins. Everyone loves an underdog. God also loves an underdog. I think the reason everyone loves an underdog is this quote that I found here. It says, we grew up learning to cheer on the underdog because we see ourselves in them. You know, friends, there's a lot of people in the Bible that would been considered underdogs. From Moses to David who fought Goliath. So even Jesus, from a worldly perspective, could be considered an underdog. Now, if you were like how I was, and you're thinking, how in the world was Jesus, the Son of God, ever an underdog? I'm going to break that down in a minute. But really, Jesus was the ultimate underdog. Underdogs overcome the odds. Can you say overcome? The the odds." odds. Underdogs overcome the odds. Jesus... Was no exception here. He had to overcome some odds. So for those of you who might be thinking, but Jesus is the son of God. How was he an underdog? Well, he never had an earthly elected office when he was here. He never had an army at his disposal. He never got rich. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the son of man had no place to lay his head. He had nothing that he, that we would associate with power or esteem or advantage. Nonetheless, what does he accomplish? Unfathomable things. He saved the world if we choose to be saved. He overcame the odds. So today I'm going to hit four odds that Jesus had to overcome. And because these are four odds he ha- had to overcome, friends, it's four odds that we can overcome through him. So four odds that Jesus had to overcome. Number one, if you're taking notes with me, if you walked in this morning, you've got a, um, a bulletin, there's a talk it over sheet. Taking notes with me, the very first thing is he overcame the ghetto. What? Oh, I got y'all attention on the first point, huh? The first point. He overcame the ghetto. And what I mean by the ghetto is humble beginnings. He had to overcome humble beginnings. But if you look up what ghetto actually means, it's usually the part of the city that is a slum area where poor people live. Well, guess what? Jesus grew up in the ghetto of Israel. Let me break it down for you. Although many people came to hear Jesus preach, they still doubted that he was the Messiah. And they would say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? After Jesus read the scripture in the synagogue in Nazareth, the people were surprised and said, hold up. Is this not Joseph's son? See, Jesus said a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. And in Nazareth, where he grew up, he could only do a few miracles. Now, at that time, it was hard for the people of Israel to believe that God could do anything great in that region because they had regional prejudice. And so they thought, they they didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, partially because where he grew up. Hmm. Have you ever felt like people... Didn't see the best in you or didn't believe in you because of maybe where you grew up. Maybe the family that you came from. Maybe the school you graduated or didn't graduate from. Did you ever feel like you were an underdog because of your upbringing? Hmm. Jesus can relate. See, Jesus, son of God, was born in a manger. And he grew up the son of a carpenter, a blue-collar family, if you will. In Nazareth, which was a small town that had no religious significance whatsoever. People were asking, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from the south end? It's always on the news for something bad. Can anything good come from the north side? Ooh. Can anything come on, God, be in the hood, be in your hood. Can anything good come from these places? Can anything good come from that family? Friends, Jesus can relate. For the most part of his ministry, Jesus preached in Galilee, a region where a lot of Gentiles lived. Again, people were questioning, will Christ come out of Galilee? They insisted no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Friends, I love, I love that Jesus chose by God's divine knowledge to be born in a manger. To be raised in Nazareth and to start his ministry in Galilee. All places that were despised. All places that people, the religious leaders, thought nothing good could come from those places. I love that that Jesus that God chose for Jesus to be born of a woman and then to be placed in a major see, Jesus could have came down like Superman friends in a spaceship if, if God chose. He didn't have to be born from a woman except for he had to to fulfill prophecy because God wanted to redeem us all. And so Jesus was born of a woman in a main, in place in a manger, friends, because God, he loves to take what people look at as lowly and despise and raise them up to do awesome things. For him, That is what an underdog is, friends. They overcome the odds. They overcome their humble beginnings. They don't make excuses and say, oh, well, I can't do anything because my father wasn't in my life. Come on, somebody. Oh, I can't do anything because I didn't get the best of education. Come on, somebody. I can't do anything because my parents went through a divorce. Come on, somebody. I can't do anything because I came from a blue-collar family. Come on, somebody. I can't do anything great or significant because I have generational Poverty in my family. Come on, somebody. God loves to use people who come from humble beginnings. So much so that he chose that Jesus set the ultimate example, friends. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let's read this together. This sums up the gospel. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, the same mindset as Christ Jesus in another translation, having the same attitude as Christ, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Friends, not just the nature made in human likeness, but he took on the position of a servant. Born in a manger, raised in Nazareth, started his ministry in Galilee. He chose to be among the ones who were considered the lowly, the lowly ones, the outcasts. He chose to be with the marginalized. He chose to start his ministry with the poor. Left heaven and all his glory and all of his riches to come to redeem us. Because he had to overcome the odds for us to be able to overcome the odds. And so in being found in the parents of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, if you feel like an underdog today, if you feel like you have a little chance of winning, a little chance of being successful, a little chance of making something of yourself, friends, you're in good company. God loves to use those people that no one else would expect. And Jesus was an underdog, the ultimate underdog that we can trust in him, that because he overcame the odds, we can overcome the odds too. So he started in humble beginnings. He overcame the stereotypes of the ghetto, amen? Another thing that he had to overcome is that he had to overcome the oppression of the generals of his day, The, the worldly and the religious leaders, the generals of his day. He had to overcome oppression from these guys. Let me break this down for you for just a minute. See, when Jesus, when the Jewish leaders came upon Jesus, they said, well, who is this man who teaches with this authority? He doesn't teach, the people would say he, he doesn't teach like our Jewish religious leaders, but he teaches as one with authority. And the Jewish leaders start getting a little jealous. And so when Jesus, when the Jewish leaders made their minds up that Jesus had to go, They began to plot against him. So the odds were definitely not in his favor. When people were turned by the leaders, his chances sunk even lower according to a worldly perspective, a perspective of that time. See, we we know the end of the story, but during this time, they didn't. See, the Roman government got involved and then determined that Jesus' end, and Pilate gave the call to crucify him, It looks like Jesus really had no chance at all. And yet, God moved. See, they illegally tried him. They falsely accused him. They falsely convicted him and crucified him as a result of their scheming efforts because of jealousy and because they didn't understand because of their own religious mindsets. And yet, They thought they had him right where they wanted him, and yet God had him right where he needed to be, friends. See, the Jewish leadership that was made up of the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and the Sahedrin, and they all came together to try to trick Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you see over and over that they try to catch him uh, in a, in, in a they try to trick him in questions because they wanted to see him blasphemy God so that they could have a reason to accuse him. But because they didn't find one, they began to make up some. And he was falsely accused and falsely tried and was sentenced to death. And they thought they had him right where they wanted him, but he was right where God needed him to be, friends. And friends, I want to encourage you, if you're going through something today, if you feel like you've been oppressed, you feel like you can't get ahead, you feel like that, that someone is holding you down. Sometimes our greatest growth, friends, comes from the places that we receive the most opposition. They opposed Jesus and Jesus knew their hearts and they didn't like that. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 15:14, talking about the religious leaders, they said, he said they are blind leaders and they're leading the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And then he got real flat out in Matthew 23. He said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourself nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Friends, let's never get to a place where we become those kind of religious leaders that try to hinder people from coming to know God. Instead, If you feel like you are the least of the least, that is a good place to be because God wants to use you. He wants to, he wants to take you from your lowly place. He wants to take you from that place where you feel oppressed and he wants To use you for his glory. The Bible says he takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Jesus had to overcome oppression. Jesus had to overcome the generals of his day who didn't believe in him. So if you feel like you don't have anyone that believes in you, know this. God believes in you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to become obedient to death on a cross. So that we again could have relationship with the father. Don't be afraid of opposition because oftentimes opposition will bring your greatest growth, your greatest growth. Due to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, the forces of hell are already defeated. Friends, if you feel the world is against you, that's a good place to be because God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? This is what Jesus said to his followers and to you and I if we believe. In John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Come on somebody, give a hand clap to that. He's worthy. He's worthy. He overcame the odds. He overcame the world so that you too can overcome the world. He says, take heart. Take heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be troubled. Take heart. Because you too can overcome the odds. You can overcome the odds. You can overcome the world. Another odd that Jesus had to overcome and we do too is he had to overcome grief. Friends, He had to overcome grief. He had to overcome suffering. I love the quote by St. Augustine. God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Never one without suffering. Jesus suffered, friends. We live in a fallen world. We're going to suffer. We're going to have grief in our life. We're going to go through things. Troubles come. But we have Jesus that can help us overcome the troubles. It doesn't have to be the end of the world for you, friends, because Jesus overcame the world. Jesus experienced grief and suffering from Gethsemane to Golgotha. From the garden to the cross, friends. He experienced suffering. He went through things that no one should go through. In the garden, this... Jesus experienced grief and suffering so much so that he was in the garden. He get this was after the last supper with the disciples. He said, come with me to pray. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He already released the traitor Judas and said, go do what you got to do. And then he gathered his 11 disciples and they went together to the place that they've prayed oftentimes and they began to pray. And Jesus began to seek God's face and he asked the disciples to wait up and pray with them. But the Bible says the. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so they fell asleep. And in his hour of need, his disciples were sleeping and it was just him and God. And he began to pray and he began not just to pray, but to intercede and to intercede for, for the hour that he was, that was coming upon him and for you and for me and for the disciples. And he was praying. He was seeking God's face so much so that he began to pray in such an intense way that his, he began to sweat. And out of his sweat glands came blood. He bled for you, friends, before he even went to the cross. Before he even went to the cross, he shed his blood in prayer for you. Now, this is actually a a, a very rare scientific um, condition. It's called hematidrosis. It's a very rare scientific condition, but it's where veins and skin become tender from anguish. That they break, mixing blood with sweat. Friends, Jesus bled in the garden before he even got to the cross because his blood sets us free. His blood is what cleanses us. And the Bible says now that he rose again and he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, it says now we have one that is still interceding for us. So know that if he interceded like that in the garden, that he's in heaven interceding for you and for me that we would have relationship with him, that we would have relationship with the father, that we would really, truly know who he is because he loves us. I want to tell you this in your greatest agony can come your greatest ministry In the place that you feel most distraught. And the most pain can come the most beautiful new life. Think about it this way, mom's and our giving birth some of the, the greatest pain, but yet comes the greatest joy. Jesus was in the garden, and the most emotional agony that he's ever been in, to the point that his blood was shed because he was sweating, because he was praying with such intensity for you and for me. He suffered, and that wasn't it. After the garden, when the soldiers came, And they took him away, and he was tried before the Sahedron and then given over to the Roman court. And Pilate said, well, let's just have him flogged. Let's just have him. It's called a scourging. It was a crucifixion, was agonizing, torturous death. But Jesus endured a torture that was nearly as or perhaps equally excruciating before he ever got to the cross. This was the pain he suffered when he was scourged. Jesus was severely flogged and then par- and then paraded naked in front of people, friends, in front of the crowd. See, the flogging that he endured was the standard practice given to criminals before the crucifixion to belittle them. The whip that they, that they use is, you know, we picture a whip, we picture like one that we see in our culture, like maybe a bull whip, like whips that you, you use for bulls and cows. But no, this whip that he used was actually called a, uh that, that the Roman soldiers used was actually called a fl- uh, fl- flagellum. I practiced that word for y'all. And this whip, it, it had at least three strands, and it had bones and glass and things tied up in it. And so when they actually would... Flog a prisoner it would tear off their skin so you can actually see the insides Of a person This is the torture that our lord went through For us for the sin of the world Jesus was tied to a post and he was whipped over and over and over again He suffered for you and for me And then next They give him a cross to carry. Or actually next, they, they mock him. They mock him and make fun of him and they, they take a crown. But it, it was a, a, it was a crown of thorns, but it was to mock him and make fun of him because they said, oh, you're some king, let me give you a crown. And then he bled some more because they put that into his head. Thorns. And then they said, now it's time for you to carry your own cross. Now the cross was between most scholars believe between 75 pounds to 125 pounds. And I know we got some buff dudes here, you know, men can usually, they say swing, maybe a bag of potatoes of 110 pounds, but this was after Jesus had already been mocked after he already been flogged after he was already in emotional agony in the garden. They now are saying, carry your own cross up to 125 pounds. Jesus had trouble carrying it to the point that they had to get Simon from Cyrene to help him out. Jesus had to carry the cross for us. And then finally, he was placed on the cross. First, they nailed the nails, which were not just nails. I'm talking spikes, friends. Between five to seven inches. And they dro- they drove them into his hands. Some scholars believe it was really his wrist. But either way... There's so many nerve endings in your hands and sensory nerves that any stimulation would cause agonizing shots of pain to go through his whole body and then into his feet again, sending those pains. And he hung on that cross for six hours, suffering in agony and in pain. But he said, Father, his last words, I commit my spirit into your hands. And before that he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he made the commitment, a, a prayer of faith. I commit my spirit into your hands and friends. He set an example because he's, he's God, 100% God, 100% man, but he set an example of committing his spirit into his hands after he asked the father to forgive them for they know not what they do so that we can too say father, because of the sacrifice of, of Jesus on the cross, I commit my spirit into your hands. See, Jesus Christ, his life was characterized by suffering. Even though the worst was was experienced and reserved in his final days, his sufferings are both friends. Get this: both redemptive and an example to believers, because all are going to suffer, because we live in a falling world and things happen. Life gets messy. We're all going to suffer, but we don't have to suffer alone. We can have Jesus come and live into live in our heart and be our Lord and be our, our God, and he can walk us through those things, and then he gives us the spirit that can help us walk through these things, friends. I love what Hebrews says in, in chapter 7, verse 27. It talks about Jesus, and it says, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. See, the high priest, then, if, if the people wanted forgiveness for their sins, they had to sacrifice an animal, one that was without spot and blemish. And the high priest had to sacrifice for themselves, for their own sins, and then for the sins of the people. But the Bible says, unlike those high priests, we have a great high priest. His sacrifice for the sins were once and for all, once and for all, when he offered himself That God said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to solve this crisis. The separation that sin has kept my people from me. And he says, who will go for me? And the Bible calls Jesus the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. That Jesus went for you and for me so that we could have relationship with him. Not just religion. Not just Doing our duty, friends, but he really wants to know you. It's truly a love story. Those songs that we hear about climbing the highest mountain and swimming the depths of the seas for the one I love, friends. Jesus did that for you. So much so that Romans 8 says that there's no height that can separate you from his love. There's no depth that can separate you from his love. That's why He suffered. That's why he was in such agony and such grief, friends, because it was worth it. It was worth it for just one to change their life and to commit to him and to have a relationship again with the father. So Jesus overcame through suffering. He didn't just overcome the odds. He overcame the odds through suffering. We can too, friends, through Jesus. So if you feel like the odds are stacked against you, you're in good company. The last odd was the greatest odd that Jesus had to overcome. It was the greatest enemy. It was the grave. Death and the grave. Jesus overcame the grave. See, when he was crucified, he was alone. Even his friends had abandoned him. One of his closest disciples, Peter, had denied him. The world could look at Jesus and easily give up. The enemy thought that he had him right where they want, wanted him. In fact, the world did. They gave up. Everyone counted him out. He had a little chance of winning. As far as they were concerned, his death on the cross was final and irreversible. After all, why should Jesus be any different than any other human being that had ever lived in the end, the grave seated number one, it always wins, right? That's what they were thinking. But Jesus was no common underdog. He was the ultimate underdog. Jesus overcame the odds and so can you, friends. He won the victory that no one expected, won that no one had ever won before. He was raised from the dead by God the Father and this is the foundation Of our faith. That on the third day. He rose again. This is the foundation of our faith. This is why the early Christians decided to start worshiping on Sundays instead of Saturdays. Because it was the day that he rose again, friends. It changed everything. This man changed all history. All great laws. Everything changed by him. And he rose again. He conquered death Hell and the grave, friends, First Corinthians 1555 and 57 Where, O oh death, is your victory. <laughs> where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus overcame the odds. When the odds were stacked against him, he overcame the odds, and so can you. Because of Jesus, the Bible says Moses gave us the law, but Jesus gave us grace and truth. Jesus made a new way for us, friends. Through Jesus, grace came. I told you about the odds that were stacked against Jesus. I told you that he had to overcome all these odds from the ghetto, the humble beginnings, the generals, the leaders of his day, that he had to overcome all of the odds, the grief and suffering that he experienced, and finally the grave. But friends, the outcome is that he rose again. That is the outcome. He came back to life. Jesus is alive. He conquered the grave and every other odd that was stacked against him, friends. And do you know why? Because of his outlandish love towards you. Because his overwhelming love for you, for me, for us. And so our last point today is if the odds are stacked against you, because of what Jesus did, because he overcame the odds, he now gives you a free gift. You know what that free gift is called? It's called grace. Jesus wins friends and grace wins grace wins Jesus overcame and we can too Friends, I don't want you to be discouraged in this place today. I don't want you to be overwhelmed in this place today because God Loves you so much and he desires to have an intimate relationship with you friends. This is not just any story This is the greatest love story ever told he cares so much for you. He desires that you would know him And so today if you feel like the whole world is against you if you feel like every single odd is That you have to overcome so many things You can be victorious You can be victorious. And so I want to end with something special today. We have our dance team. And I want you to pay attention to this because I believe that this dance that they, this is not just a dance, this is ministry that they have for you. Grace wins. And so let's pay attention to this demonstration today.
1: This moment I see you Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from could never reach that far. But in the shadow of that shame, beaten down by all the blame, I hear you call my name, saying it's not. Over.
0: church stand to your feet grace wins every time would you bow your heads with me for a moment let's just focus now on the Lord let's focus on Jesus God you are good you are good we thank you Lord Jesus for the woman of the well grace wins. For the blind beggar, grace wins. For the worst part of you and me, grace wins. Because you overcame the odds, Jesus, we too can overcome the odds. As a matter of fact, we can overcome the world, but we can't do it on our own. If you're struggling in here today, friends, if you have not made a commitment today to give your heart to Jesus Christ, The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And you will be saved. If you have not made that commitment to the Lord, today is the day of salvation. We have the victory, but we have to have Jesus to have the victory. If you have never made that commitment to the Lord, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand before the Lord? It's a sign that you want to give your heart to him today. Maybe you're in this place, I see a, a couple hands, thank you. Maybe you're in this place and you, maybe at VBS years ago when you were in second or third grade, you made a, a commitment to the, to the Lord that He would be the Lord of your life, but you haven't fallen through with that commitment. Maybe when you were a child or even a young adult, you made that commitment, but you were like the prodigal son and you ran away from God. He ran away from the Father's house. But God is here today to say, come on back home. Grace wins for you too. If that is you today, and at one time you knew him, but you have left that commitment, would you raise your hands before the Lord today? Raise your hands before the Lord. Yes. Yes. We're going to have a ministry time at the altar here in a moment, but I want one, there's one more thing that the Lord has really put on my heart. If you are struggling in this place, and you feel like the odds are stacked Against you. You feel like you just cannot overcome. You're overwhelmed. You're frustrated with life. You're borderline depressed, even suicidal. And you feel like you just cannot. You can't come up. You're stuck. Friends, grace wins for you. Don't beat yourself up. God has victory for you. Would you raise your hand before the Lord today? Raise your hand before the Lord. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Yes. Friends, I'm going to ask at this time, before you come up, altar workers, would you come on up? If you're going to be praying at the altar today, would you come on up? These are some of our leaders or pastors of our church. And friends, we've been praying, we've been fasting, we've been seeking the Lord's face for you. That you would experience him today. This is why we're here. Because grace wins and grace wins for you. If you if you rose your hand today and you want to recommit your life to the Lord, or maybe you're just struggling and you need some strength, would you come up here? There's many hands that were, don't be afraid. If you rose your hand, come up here. If you put your hand up and you you know that you need some prayer time, you need some, come on up, friends. Rededicate your life. This is the perfect day to do it. Come up for strength. If you're feeling overwhelmed, Come on up! I want to speak a blessing over everybody. If you would just raise your hands before the Lord, I want to speak a blessing over you. The Lord is for you and not against you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's the the fight is not all. The fight is still going on, friends, but the fight has already been won. The victory has already been won. There might be a fight in your flesh. You might be fighting your intellectual, your knowledge, but. Jesus has already paid the price he's already wanted for you. So, Father God, I speak a blessing over your people in the house today. God, I pray, Lord God, that they would feel your love, that they would know how much you care for them, that they would know how much you love them. God, I pray that you, that great divide that sin has placed on this earth that separates us from Father God, thank you, Jesus, that your cross was a bridge, that we could come again into that personal relationship, that we could come again to know you, that the veil has been torn. God, I pray that you would touch every single person here today. Would you move on their heart? Bless them today. We do this for you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday. We've got a gift for you.